Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planetin, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development. It's very strong role models for those we love and mentor. Today is the next chapter in my Psych 100 journey. Chapter 57. Let's get started. Schizophrenia spectrum disorders. This is going to be fascinating. Schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders are some of the most impairing forms of a psychopathology, frequently associated with a profound negative effect on the individual's educational, occupational, and social function. Sadly, these disorders often manifest right at the time of the transition from adolescence to adulthood, just as young people should be evolving into independent young adults. The spectrum of psychotic disorders include schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, delusional disorder, schizotypal personality disorder, schizophreniform disorder, brief psychotic disorder, as well as psychosis associated with substance use or medical conditions. In this module, we summarize the primary clinical features of these disorders, describe the known cognitive and neurobiological changes associated with schizophrenia, describe potential risk factors and or causes for the development of schizophrenia, and describe currently available treatments for schizophrenia. The learning objectives to keep in the back of your mind as you're listening or reading along on YouTube is describe the signs and symptoms of schizophrenia and related psychotic disorders. Describe the most well-replicated cognitive and neurobiological changes associated with schizophrenia. Describe the potential risk factors for the development of schizophrenia. Describe the controversies associated with clinical high-risk approaches to identifying individuals at risk for the development of schizophrenia, and describe the treatments that work for some of the symptoms of schizophrenia. As mentioned, I am a student, not a teacher, and I'm simply sharing my journey, and this is also open courseware, so it's readily available online. Let's get started. The Phenomenology of Schizophrenia and Related Psychotic Disorders most of you have probably had the experience of walking down the street in a city and seeing a person you thought was acting oddly. They may have been dressed in an unusual way, perhaps disheveled or wearing an unusual collection of clothes, makeup or jewelry that did not seem to fit any particular group or subculture. They may have been talking to themselves or yelling at someone you could not see. If you tried to speak to them, they may have been difficult to follow or understand, or they may have acted paranoid or started telling a bizarre story about the people who were plotting against them. If so, chances are that you have encountered an individual with schizophrenia or other type of psychotic disorder. If you've watched the movie A Beautiful Mind or The Fisher King, you have also seen a portrayal of someone thought to have schizophrenia. Sadly, a few of the individuals who have committed some of the recently highly publicized mass murders may have had schizophrenia, though most people who commit such crimes do not have schizophrenia. It is also likely that you have met people with schizophrenia without ever knowing it, as they may suffer in silence or stay isolated to protect themselves from the horrors they see, hear, or believe are operating in the outside world. 
as these examples begin to illustrate, psychotic disorders involve many different types of symptoms, including delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech and behavior, abnormal motor behavior, including catatonia, and negative systems such as anhedonia and blunted effect reduced speech. Delusions are false beliefs that are often fixed, hard to change, even when the person is presented with conflicting information and are often culturally influenced in their content. They can be terrifying for the person who may remain convinced that they are true, even when loved ones and friends present them with clear information that they cannot be true. There are many different types or themes to delusions. The most common delusions are prusicory and involve the belief that individuals or groups are trying to hurt, harm, or plot against the person in some way. These can be people that the person knows, people at work, or more abstract groups, the FBI. Other types of delusions include grandiose delusions, where the person believes that they have some special power or ability. For example, I am the new Buddha. I am a rock star. Referential delusions, where the person believes that events or objects in the environment have special meaning for them. For example, the song on the radio is being played specifically for me. Or other types of delusions, where the person may believe that others are controlling their thoughts and actions. Their thoughts are being broadcast aloud, or that others can read their mind, or that they can read other people's minds. When you see a person on the street talking to themselves or shouting at other people, they are experiencing hallucinations. These are perceptual experiences that occur even when there is no stimulus in the outside world generating the experiences. They can be auditory, visual, olfactory, gustory, or somatic, which is smell, taste, and touch. The most common hallucinations in psychosis, at least in adults, are auditory and can involve one or more voices talking about the person, commenting on the person's behavior, or giving them orders. The content of hallucinations is frequently negative. You are a loser, etc. And can be the voice of someone the person knows or a complete stranger. Sometimes the voices sound as if they're coming from outside the person's head. Other times the voices seem to be coming from inside the person's head, but are not experienced the same as the person's inner thoughts or inner speech. Talking to someone with schizophrenia is sometimes difficult, as their speech may be difficult to follow, either because their answers do not clearly flow from your questions, or because one sentence does not logically follow from another. This is referred to as disorganized speech, and it can be present even when the person is writing. Disorganized behavior can include odd dress, odd makeup, or unusual rituals. Abnormal motor behavior can include catatonia, which refers to a variety of behaviors that seem to reflect a reduction in responsiveness to the external environment. This can include holding unusual postures for long periods of time, failing to respond to verbal or motor prompts from another person, or excessive and seemingly purposeless motor activity. Some of the most debilitating symptoms of schizophrenia are difficult for others to see. 
These include what people refer to as negative symptoms or the absence of certain things we typically expect most people to have. For example, anhedonia or um, motivation reflect a lack of apparent interest in or drive to engage in social recreational activities. These symptoms can manifest as a great amount of time spent in physical immobility. Importantly, anhedonia and motivation do not seem to reflect a lack of enjoyment in pleasurable activities or events, but rather a reduced drive or ability to take the steps necessary to obtain the potentially positive outcomes. Flat effect. And reduced speech reflect a lack of showing emotions through facial expressions, gestures, and speech intonation, as well as a reduced amount of speech and increased pause frequency and duration. In many ways, the types of symptoms associated with psychosis are the most difficult for us to understand, as they may seem far outside the range of our normal experiences. Unlike depression or anxiety, many of us may not have had experiences that we think of as on the same continuum as psychosis. However, just like many of the other forms of psychopathology described in this book, the types of psychotic symptoms that characterize disorders like schizophrenia are on the continuum with normal mental experiences. For example, work by Jim Van Oes in the Netherlands has shown that a surprisingly large percentage of the general population, 10% plus, experience psychotic-like symptoms, though many fewer have multiple experiences and most will not continue to experience these symptoms in the long run. Similarly, work in a general population of adolescents and young adults in Kenya has also shown that a relatively high percentage of individuals experience one or more psychotic-like experiences at some point in their lives, though, again, most will not go on to develop a full-blown psychotic disorder. Schizophrenia is the primary disorder that comes to mind when we discuss psychotic disorders, though there are a number of other disorders that share one or more features with schizophrenia. In the remainder of this module, we will use the term psychosis and schizophrenia somewhat interchangeably, given that most of the research has focused on schizophrenia. In addition to schizophrenia, other psychotic disorders include schizophreniform disorder, schizoaffective disorder, delusional disorder, and brief psychotic disorder. And that table one is, uh, it's a big table, so take a look at it when you have a moment on the YouTube channel because it outlines the types of psychotic disorders. The cognitive neuroscience of schizophrenia. As described above, when we think of the core symptoms of psychotic disorders, such as schizophrenia, we think of people who hear voices, see visions, and have false beliefs about reality delusions. However, problems in cognitive function are also a critical aspect of psychotic disorders and of schizophrenia in particular. This emphasis on cognition in schizophrenia is in part due to the growing body of research suggesting that cognitive problems in schizophrenia are a major source of disability and loss of functional capacity. The cognitive deficits that are present in schizophrenia are widespread and can include problems with episodic memory, working memory, and other tasks that require one to control or regulate 
one's behavior. Individuals with schizophrenia also have difficulty with what is referred to as processing speed and are frequently slower than healthy individuals on almost all tasks. Importantly, these cognitive deficits are present prior to the onset of the illness and are also present, albeit in a milder form, in the first-degree relatives of people with schizophrenia. This suggests that cognitive impairments in schizophrenia reflect part of the risk for the development of psychosis, rather than being an outcome of developing psychosis. Further, people with schizophrenia who have more severe cognitive problems also tend to have more severe negative symptoms and more disorganized speech and behavior. In addition, people with more cognitive problems have worse function in everyday life. Some people with schizophrenia also show deficits in what is referred to as social cognition, though it is not clear whether such problems are separate from the cognitive problems described above or the result of them. This includes problems with the recognition of emotional expressions on the faces of other individuals and problems inferring the intentions of other people, theory of mind. Individuals with schizophrenia who have more problems with social cognition also tend to have more negative and disorganized symptoms. The advent of neuroimaging techniques such as the structural and functional magnetic resonance imaging and positron emission tomography opened up the ability to try to understand the brain mechanisms of the symptoms of schizophrenia as well as the cognitive impairments found in psychosis. For example, a number of studies have suggested that delusions in psychosis may be associated with problems in salience detection mechanisms supported by the ventral stratum and the anterior prefrontal cortex. These are regions of the brain that normally increase their activity when something important happens in the environment. If these brain regions misfire, it may lead individuals with psychosis to mistakenly attribute importance to irrelevant or unconnected events. Further, there is good evidence that problems in working memory and cognitive control in schizophrenia are related to problems in the function of a region of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. These problems include changes in how the DLPFC works when people are doing working memory or cognitive control tasks and problems with how this brain region is connected to other brain regions important for working memory and cognitive control, including the posterior parietal cortex, the anterior cingulate and temporal cortex. In terms of understanding episodic memory problems in schizophrenia, many researchers have focused on medial temporal lobe deficits with specific focus on the hippocampus. This is because there is much data from humans and animals showing that the hippocampus is important for the creation of new memories. However, it has become increasingly clear that problems with the DLPFC also make important contributions to episodic memory deficits in schizophrenia, probably because this part of the brain is important for controlling our use of memory. In addition to problems with regions such as the DLFPC and medial temporal lobes in schizophrenia described above, magnitude resonance neuroimaging studies have also identified changes in cellular architecture 
white matter connectivity, and gray matter volume in a variety of regions that include the prefrontal and temporal cortices. People with schizophrenia also showed reduced overall brain volume and reductions in brain volume as people get older may be larger in those with schizophrenia than in healthy people. Taking antipsychotic medications or taking drugs such as marijuana, alcohol, and tobacco may cause some of these structural changes. However, these structural changes are not completely explained by medications or substance use alone. Further, both functional and structural brain changes are seen again to a milder degree in the first-degree relatives of people with schizophrenia. This again suggests that the neural changes associated with schizophrenia are related to a genetic risk for this illness. Risk Factors for Developing Schizophrenia it is clear that there are important genetic contributions to the likelihood that someone will develop schizophrenia with consistent evidence from family, twin, and adoption studies. However, there is no schizophrenia gene, and it is likely that the genetic risk for schizophrenia reflects the summation of many different genes that each contribute something to the likelihood of developing psychosis. Further, schizophrenia is a very heterogeneous disorder, which means that two different people with schizophrenia may each have very different symptoms. For example, one has hallucinations and delusions, the other has disorganized speech and negative symptoms. This makes it even more challenging to identify specific genes associated with the risk for psychosis. Importantly, many studies also now suggest that at least some of the genes potentially associated with schizophrenia are also associated with other mental health conditions, including bipolar disorder, depression, and autism. There are also a number of environmental factors that are associated with increased risk of developing schizophrenia. For example, problems during pregnancy, such as increased stress, infection, malnutrition, and or diabetes, have been associated with increased risk of schizophrenia. In addition, complications that occur at the time of birth and which cause hypoxia, lack of oxygen, are also associated with increased risk for developing schizophrenia. Children born to older fathers are also at somewhat increased risk of developing schizophrenia. Further, using cannabis increases risk for developing psychosis, especially if you have other risk factors. The likelihood of developing schizophrenia is also higher for kids who grow up in urban settings and for some minority ethnic groups. Both of these factors may reflect higher social and environmental stress in the settings. Unfortunately, none of these risk factors is specific enough to be particularly useful in a clinical setting, and most people with these risk factors do not develop schizophrenia. However, together they are beginning to give us clues as neurodevelopmental factors that may lead to someone to be at an increased risk for developing this disease. An important research area on risk for psychosis has been work with individuals who may be at clinical high risk. These are individuals who are showing attuinated, milder symptoms of psychosis that have developed recently and who are experiencing some distress or disability associated with these symptoms. When people with these types of symptoms are followed over time, about 35% of them develop a psychotic disorder, most frequently schizophrenia. 
In order to identify these individuals, a new category of diagnosis called attenuated psychotic syndrome was added to Section 3, the Section for Disorders in Need of Further Study, of the DSM-5. However, adding this diagnostic category to the DSM-5 created a good deal of controversy. Many scientists and clinicians have been worried that including risk states in the DSM-5 would create mental disorders where none exist, that these individuals are often already seeking treatment from other problems, and that it is not clear that we have a good treatment to stop these individuals from developing to psychosis. However, the counter-arguments have been that there is evidence that individuals with high-risk symptoms develop psychosis at a much higher rate than individuals with other types of psychiatric symptoms, and that the inclusion of attenuated psychotic syndrome in Section 3 will spur important research that might have clinical benefits. Further, there is some evidence that non-invasive treatments such as omega-3 fatty acids and intensive family intervention may help reduce the development of full-blown psychosis in people who have high-risk symptoms. Treatment of schizophrenia. Current available treatments for schizophrenia leave much to be desired, and the search for more effective treatments for both the psychotic symptoms of schizophrenia, for example, hallucinations and delusions, as well as the cognitive deficits and negative symptoms, is a highly active area of research. The first line of treatment for schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders is the use of antipsychotic medications. There are two primary types of antipsychotic medications referred to as typical and atypical. The fact that typical antipsychotics helped some symptoms of schizophrenia was discovered serendipitously more than 60 years ago. These are drugs that all share a common feature of being a strong block of the D2-type dopamine receptor. Although these drugs can help reduce hallucinations, delusions, and disorganized speech, they do little to improve cognitive deficits or negative symptoms and can be associated with distressing motor side effects. The newer generation of antipsychotics is referred to as atypical antipsychotics. These drugs have more mixed mechanisms of action in terms of the receptor types that they influence, though most of them also influence D2 receptors. These newer antipsychotics are not necessarily more helpful for schizophrenia, but have fewer motor side effects. However, many of the atypical antipsychotics are associated with side effects referred to as the metabolic syndrome, in, which includes weight gain and increased risk for cardiovascular illness, type 2 diabetes, and mortality. The evidence that cognitive deficits also contributed to functional impairment in schizophrenia has led to an increased search for treatments that might enhance cognitive function in schizophrenia. Unfortunately, as of yet, there are no pharmacological treatments that work consistently to improve cognition in schizophrenia, though many new types of drugs are currently under exploration. However, there is a type of psychological intervention referred to as cognitive remediation, which has shown some evidence of helping cognition and function in schizophrenia. In particular, a version of this treatment called cognitive enhancement therapy has been shown to improve cognition, functional outcome, social cognition, and to protect against gray matter loss in young individuals with schizophrenia. 
The development of new treatments such as cognitive enhancement therapy provides some hope that we'll be able to develop new and better approaches to improving the lives of individuals with this serious mental health condition and potentially even prevent it someday. Well, wouldn't that be a dream come true, right? If we could prevent schizophrenia, psychotics, and I'm sure, like me, you have seen people wandering the streets talking to themselves or talking to their imaginary friend, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it sounds like we are on a path for redemption along the way, which is so nice. And if you're feeling really nice today, maybe you could give me a thumbs up, subscribe, share the show with someone you know, help them live an inspired life. Help them to pass this course. Help each other out in the universe because we're all here to serve one another and we can live a more inspired life.